0: There's a story in the Old Testament that uh, in literature we'd have
1: to describe as a tragedy, a terribly
0: sad story of collapse.
1: It's in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. the people of israel god created from nothing when he spoke to abraham and he said i'll give you a
0: son his wife thought that was hilarious and the son's name ended up being something like hilarious isaac because
1: The Lord thought it was funny that Sarah thought it was funny. How'd you like to be that guy who walked around through his whole life named Hilarious? Now we have children, sons today that we name Isaac. (laughs) That's good. I hope they have a sense of humor. So God made Israel. God said to Abraham, I will make from you a great nation. Abraham was already 80 years old the first time he heard God say that. And he and his wife had been married for a long, long time, never had any children, couldn't have any children. I think that's part of the reason God chose Abraham, because God wanted to do something that would be evidently him. So he makes a nation out of some... Buddy, you can't make a nation out of. And he says to Abraham, I'll make a nation from you, and out of that nation I will bless the world. And the story goes on. You know the story. Goes on. Isaac has a son, has a couple of sons. One of them is named Jacob. Jacob. Which means "con man." Trickster." Because Isaac, or Jacob had a twin brother, Esau, and when they were born, Esau came first, and Isaac was grabbing onto his or, I'm sorry, Jacob was grabbing onto his ankle, trying to pull him back so he could get out first. At least that's how everyone read it. So he got named Jacob, which means something like, I'm gonna trick you. Well, he lived up to that name, didn't he? Because he tricked Esau, who was born first, and became the firstborn by tricking his brother, his twin brother. Jacob, God, gave a new name, a name which means the Prince of God. Israel. And Israel, of course, is the father of the nation we know even to this day by the name Israel, Prince of God. The nation from which God promises to bless all the nations.
0: But they were not good people.
1: They weren't good people.
0: Because you know the
1: story of Jacob's sons, Well, Jacob had a son by his favorite wife, okay, so now we know he has more than one wife, and he's having sons with lots of different wives. None of this is good. But he had a son by his favorite wife that became his favorite son, and his favorite son, Joseph, had a lot of older brothers who resented the fact that Joseph was the favorite son of their father, Jacob, also known as Israel. So, those sons decided they needed to do in Joseph. And when I say do in, I mean kill. That's what they had made up their minds to do. Let's get rid of him once and for all. We'll make up some story to tell our father Jacob that he was killed by some animal, Well, one of them had enough sense to talk them all out of that, and so they just so happened. <laughs> it just so happened that some traveling traders came by and they sold him into slavery instead of killing him. And he was sold into slavery in Egypt, where because God was with him not because he's especially good or clever or whatever, but because God's with him, he advances. And in the end, he saves all of his evil brothers and his father from starvation because now he has risen to be the administrator over the world. Egypt, the conquering empire of that day. And as a consequence, all of his brothers and his father and all of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. Eventually. At first, they're not slaves, but eventually they become slaves. And Egypt doesn't treat slaves especially well, but they're slaves and they're in Egypt. And God decides to deliver his people because he has made a promise to Abraham. And on the basis of his promise to Abraham, their great-grandfather, he, makes, he decides to deliver the nation now, a huge group of people now, millions of people now, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt.
0: So he gets Moses. And you want to think, what is wrong with God Moses,
1: really? That is not a good choice. Moses. God picks Moses because God picks things that are not good choices so that when he works, it will be evident that it's him. And so he picks Moses, and Moses says, no. <laughs> Now, Moses is not a good choice because Moses is guilty. Moses rose to a place of great prominence in Egypt, like he's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and then he kills somebody. And so he flees the country to get away with murder. That's the guy we've been describing in the last few days, weeks, I mean, as the man in all of human history who was most in touch with God until Jesus came along. That guy was a murderer. So God picks Moses, of all people, and he has to talk Moses into it. Moses says no. Moses recognized that he was not a good choice. And he argues with God. I don't recommend arguing with God. God wins the argument, and Moses goes with his brother Aaron. Go through all the, you know, the plagues and all that. God miraculously delivers his people out of Egypt. There's no other way to say that. In the end, the people of Egypt say, "Get out!" Then they change their minds. Well, Pharaoh changes his mind and he goes after them. And his army is drowned in the Red Sea when God's people go through, they don't. Can there be any doubt they are being
0: rescued by God out of slavery in Egypt? But you know they're still not good. They're just like the rest of us.
1: They're lost in Adam. They don't see things right. They see things crooked. They are also very, very governed by immediacy, by the things that are close and nearby. And so, When they start to get hungry, they start to whine to Moses, and they say, Why did God bring us out here just to die? Did God bring them out there to die? No! He's already said there's a promised land. He promised the land to Abraham. Abraham. And so he intends for them to be in the land. So they come out. They go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up and meets with God face to face. When he comes down, his face glows. They all say, put something on your face, man. They know God. They see the cloud on the mountain. They hear the, the thunder. The, the, they feel the ground shake. And... They create an idol. And they,
0: I mean, they're not, they're not getting
1: things. But God intends to deliver them his promise to Abraham. And so from Sinai, after they receive the law, after their, you know, venture into idolatry, they come right up to the door of the promised land. These are the same people who just left Egypt a few weeks ago because God yanked them out of there by force. And so they walk right up to the promised land. And God says to Moses, now, send some guys over to check it out. Send some guys over. So they do. They pick a leader, someone they respected from each tribe. 12 tribes, 12 guys. And the 12 guys go into the promised land and check it out. And they come back and give a report. And they say, yeah, when God said it was a land flowing with milk and honey, he was not joking around. They brought back a bunch of grapes. One bunch of grapes. And they had to have two guys carry it because it was so big put it on a pole between two guys to get it back. Yeah, the promised land is the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, no doubt about it. Two of them, you know their names? Joshua. You know who's named after Joshua? Anyway, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they say, let's go, this is the best ever. God's promises are true. Ten of them said, well, it's true. It's a great place. There's no doubt about it. But it's also occupied by giant people who have a great army. And there's no way. That's what they said. No way. We, this is a quote now from the scriptures, what they said. We are not able to conquer the promised land. That's what they said. Joshua and Caleb said, Well, that's true, but God said He would give it to us. They said, We are not able. God said He'll give it to us. And so the people made a choice on that day. On that day, they made a choice. And this is the story in the book of Numbers. They decided, There's no way.
0: They went with, We are not able. Instead of God said. They went with, we are not able,
1: which was true. Instead of, God said he would give it. When God said he would give it, God, maybe he didn't notice that they were not able. Maybe God didn't realize that the people of Israel
0: were weak compared to the people of the promised land. No, I think he knew. In fact, he says he knew. He says, I know you're not
1: able. That's why we're doing it. Because I am the God who does things with people who are not able so that everyone will know it's me and not you. But they stuck to their guns. No, we can't do it. We're not doing it. So
0: he said, okay. I can wait. I'll wait 40 years. And
1: every last one of you will die first. Imagine us, and we... We're in this condition. And we came up and we said, no, we're not able. We're not. And God said to us, okay, your children can do it. You're all going to die first. And while you're waiting to die, you're going to wander around in the desert on foot.
0: Learning my ways, because I'm going to provide for you. But you're all going to die. Not a single one of you will get my promised land.
1: And I don't think I said that with an adequately angry voice. Not one of you, well, three of you, are going to be the exceptions to that promise. Well, no, only two. But at the time, it was three. Moses,
0: Joshua and Caleb. But you know what happened to Moses, right? He didn't see it either. That is the story that we are told in
1: the book of Hebrews in the passage we come to today in Hebrews chapter 3. And if you have a
0: Bible, you should read along. Hebrews 3, I'm going to start with verse 6.
1: Verse 6 is where we left off last time. We are of his house if, in fact, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope,
0: the boasting of our hope. We are his house. And so, in
1: verse 7, he says, therefore, given that we are his house, the people who hold fast, who are lashed." the mast of Christ the people who are have a solid grip on Christ which really is Christ having a solid grip on us those people are his house therefore he says as the holy spirit says wow he just slips this right in because he's about to quote from the psalm we read earlier psalm 95 And he attributes the authorship of that passage to not the psalmist, but the Holy Spirit. So anyway, we could learn here that the Spirit is the author behind the author when we're reading the text of the Bible. But anyway, that's a little detour. He says, therefore, as the Spirit says, today, if you hear my voice, if you hear his voice, Do not
0: harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he changed a word there. And he calls that event the rebellion.
1: That event when they were right there, ready. They could have it if they just go. And they don't go. He calls that the rebellion. Rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. Now we typically think of testing as testing of people. That's not who was tested that day. He says, in the day of testing, there your fathers tested me, God speaking now, and tried me. And they saw my works for 40 years. (laughs) God passed the test. Therefore, I became provoked at their generation and said their hearts are always wandering and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. See to it, brothers. Now the writer of Hebrews is addressing brothers, Hebrews in the church See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God, but exhort one another each day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. For we have become partners with Christ, if in fact we hold our initial confidence firm until the end. So, today there's a today and there's a on that day and he's saying what happened on that day should inform today today if you hear his voice if you hear the word of God if you hear the good news of God's grace toward us in Jesus Christ this is the book of Hebrews right which is all about Focus on Jesus. If you hear his voice today, don't do what they did.
0: Do not harden your heart. We're going to need to figure out what hardening your heart means.
1: As they did on the day of testing. On the day of testing in the wilderness, your fathers put me to the test.
0: They judged God's goodness. They judged God maybe not good. Why would you bring us out here to die? God told them why he brought them out there.
1: But they're going by what they see around them
0: not by what God said. Oh, this is like Adam and Eve.
1: That fruit looks good. And uh, The devil says, what's, God, what's God's deal? Like, why does he want to keep this from you? Because he knows that if you eat it, you'll be, kind of, you'll be your own God. And so they believed what they could see, feel, taste, and touch instead of what God said. because God said in the day you eat of it you will die for sure and the devil said no you won't god is not telling you the truth and the people of Israel looked around and said ah we're not so confident that God's got our best interests in mind maybe he's not as good as he says so they don't trust what God says. They trust what they think about their situation. And so God judges them. God says, your father's put me to the test, so I'm going to pass the test. They always go astray in their heart. They have
0: not known my ways. So they saw my works for 40 years, those people.
1: For 40 years, I provided for them manna from heaven <laughs> so they could go on living while wandering in the wilderness. They saw my works for 40 years and every one, last one of them died because none of those people are going into the promised land. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now the book of Hebrews is going to make a big deal out of this resting idea as we go forward. But here's what's happening here. They tested him, he passed. He proved his goodness and his righteousness. You see, God can't be good if he's not righteous. If God isn't righteous, he's not good.
0: If God lets evil go, that's not good. God does not let evil go. He doesn't let ours go. God judges it. God's
1: wrath is poured out, according to the book of Romans, against all unrighteousness. God vindicates his
0: own righteousness in his own judgment of all sin. That's what happened to them. God says to
1: us, don't do that. Don't do what they did. Don't trust your assessment over his word. Don't judge
0: his goodness by your vision, but by his promise. So, now, we live in the time after the
1: cross. And God's judgment on us has been rendered to Christ on the cross. He didn't ignore your sin, he judged your sin in Jesus on the cross. If you are in Christ, you died with Christ and are risen with Christ and are even now seated at the right hand in Christ. And that is the promise of God, that is the assurance of our faith. That is the confession we confess. That is the boast of our, of our
0: hope. Our hope is in him. So why do we need to be told this? That's a good question. Well, because the author of Hebrews has
1: heard that some people in this church have been hedging on Jesus just like the old people of Israel hedged on God's goodness about the promised land some, there's talk among the church among the people of the church that maybe there's persecution we're anticipating some trouble for being Christians and maybe God has led us out
0: here to die And this rattles the
1: writer of this text. You can't imagine how anyone could think like that. But here's the thing, when when we read these warning statements in the book of Hebrews, we need to be careful. We need to remember that story that Jesus told about weeds getting planted with the wheat, about the wheat and the tares, about how uh, Someone planted a field, and their enemy came and sowed weeds (laughs) in the field. And So now you have weeds and wheat growing together, and the owner says, yeah, don't pull out the weeds. You might accidentally pull out some of the wheat. Wait till the end. We'll sort it out in the end. And one of the things we can learn from this story is that in the fellowship of the body of Christ... There's weeds.
0: We're talking, we're addressing a mixed group of people. And
1: being in a mixed group of people is hazardous. So We had a mixed group of people among those spies, and some of them saw the promise of God, and some of them saw, we can't do it. And those who said, we can't do it, went over the crowd. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying
0: to the church, do not let that be your church. And so he gives this warning. He says, take care, brothers,
1: lest there be any anyone in your midst, any one of you with the heart of unbelief. Now, I don't think he's saying pull out the weeds. He's just saying take care to notice unbelief in the church. And then he says, and encourage each other, you know, because even us, even real believers in Christ can waver in
0: their belief. So he says, See to it, brothers
1: and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. That The word take care or the word see to it literally means keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for any one of you with an evil heart of unbelief, the sort of heart that turns back from God. Now, every Christian has occasions of wondering about God. And so we are called upon in the body of Christ to look after each other on this because that's hazardous.
0: Being with God is being alive. God says it, Jesus says it, This is
1: eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What Adam and Eve abandoned in the garden was fellowship
0: with God and so they were dead. So this means that unbelief is deadly. Watch out. For unbelief.
1: Now, you have periods of unbelief. How do I know that? Because I do. Because I do. I have periods of unbelief. I have periods of wondering if all of this is really true. I have periods of wondering about God and His goodness. I can look at some suffering in the world and go, Did He just lead us out here to die? And you are here in part to help me
0: stick with Christ.
1: And to say, like Peter says, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. To come back, to encourage one another so that none of you is hardened by the trickery of sin,
0: the deceitfulness of sin, the evil." of unbelief. Make no
1: mistake, the issue in the text of the book of Hebrews is, are we trusting in Jesus Christ? That is the issue. The nature of all evil is in this sentence, an evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God. I want you to hear that again. That is the description of the nature of all evil. All. This is what Adam and Eve did with the evil hearts of unbelief. They turned away from the living God. This is what you do if you don't tell the truth or if you uh,
0: commit adultery. or if you have any
1: God other than the God. If you sin against any of the commandments of God, this is is what you're doing. You're trusting your own assessment and not the word of God, the promise of God in Christ to you. You see, in the book of Hebrews, trust and obey Listen now, this is the thing. Trust and obey. It's not that one follows the other.
0: They are two different words for the same thing. Trust obeys. When you
1: obey, it's trust. When you trust, that obeys. If you obey absent trust, it's not real obedience. It's self-righteousness and judged by God as the same as unrighteousness. The issue is trust. We're going to see this even more in next week's passage where... (laughs) What's what's wrong with these people when they disobeyed God? What's wrong? Unbelief. So encourage one another. This is what we are called upon to do. Keep your eyes open because unbelief is hazardous. Encourage one another in belief to trust in the word of God. And then he says, he gives them this foundation and a motivation for this Thing, this application that he, that this check yourself thing, he gives, check yourself against unbelief, encourage one another to believe. And then he says, why? He says, for we have become partners with Christ. Now, when he says we have become, that is what we call a perfect tense. In other words, it's a done deal we have become partners with Christ. You know, he's only repeating what he said in the very first verse of this chapter. You remember what he said? We are partners in the heavenly calling, same word. Partners with Christ, partners of Christ. That's the privilege we have been granted by the grace of God. It has been bestowed upon people. And those people are the house of God, the body of Christ, the church.
0: And that is a fact, unbreakable. If. Here's something about the book of Hebrews. It will annoy you with the word if.
1: We saw this last time. We are of his house if.
0: We are partners with Christ, if. And
1: this is partly why it's so important to recognize the mixed audience of the book of Hebrews, that some are genuine believers in Christ, partners with Christ, partakers of the, of the heavenly calling, uh, his house, and some in the house are not of the house. And this is how we did dealt with this last time. We said, we're his house. Those who, in fact, hold firmly to their hope in Christ. You see, if your hope in Christ is genuine, it can't be lost. Jesus himself said this. He said this. It can't be lost. No one can snatch you from my hand or the Father's hand All those who hear my voice and follow me, I will save every last one of them. I will not lose, he said, a single one. Then the writer of Hebrews says, we've become partners with Christ if, in fact, we hold our initial assurance until the end. If we hold fast our assurance from the beginning to the end. Now, this tells you that those Jesus gets a hold of, get a hold of him. Those Jesus gets a hold of will get a hold of him and they won't let go. So he says, we become partners if we hold fast our assurance from the beginning. And he's saying to the church, careful now of unbelief. Careful of unbelief. So what if you spot some unbelief? What if you're wondering right now if you're the real deal or the not real deal? Or maybe you've been sitting here in the church for years even, and you're suddenly realizing maybe I'm not the real deal.
0: What then? Well, there's only one answer.
1: There's only one answer. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Latch on to Jesus. Hold fast to your hope in Christ. You don't have another one. Hold fast to that one. And so, Christian, if you find yourself in a period of doubt, and you start to think, You start to wonder if you're truly saved. What are you going to do? Fix your behavior? Well, that doesn't save anybody. No, what you're going to do is trust in Christ. You're going to ask, like Jesus asked Peter, are you leaving too? The writer of Hebrews is asking all of us today, are you leaving The writer of Hebrews is asking everyone here today in this room right now, Are you leaving? And my answer is, And go where? You have the words of eternal life. And so we come back and we say, Jesus is mine. I will not let him go. I trust that he will not let me go. And that's better than me. Because I lose my grip sometimes, but he doesn't. And so I always come back to, if I wonder about myself, about the quality or the affection of my heart and faith in Christ, all I do is trust him again. That's all I can do. That's all there is, is to trust in Christ. And so... We are asked and challenged today by the text of this scripture, are you leaving? And we say, leaving? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. How can anyone contemplate leaving? Well, they contemplate leaving because trouble's
0: coming. Trouble's coming for us
1: so we have to ask the question, are we leaving? And the answer is, don't be stupid. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you leave Christ, you're dead. And by the way, people who are really in Christ can't leave because they understand all this. So here again, folks, we come to this table and we say, give me Jesus. And that is all there is. And we come and we receive Christ, which is symbolized in this table. We don't receive Christ by eating this bread and drinking this juice, but we symbolize it. We we say it out loud to each other in the covenant body of the church. We take Jesus. And that's what this is for, to remind us all, oh yeah, we are last to the mast that will sail past sin into Christ, into eternity with Christ. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness is true. It's true even when we don't see it. So, Lord, we come back to you again, and again, and again, however much we need to. We know you are the only way
0: that in your sacrifice, our sins are satisfied. Your judgment against us is satisfied.
1: So we celebrate the blood and the body of Christ together.
0: We give you thanks. Amen.